father's tent There you are You're running for your life You're a shooting star And all the years No one knows Just how hard you worked But now it shows In one shining moment It's all on the line One shining Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coach Kevin Furtado. Hey, if you want to know who are the best high school basketball coaches and leaders in our country are, you need to stay tuned and listen to the Championship Vision Podcast. We have some of the most renowned and best high school basketball coaches and PE teachers from around the country. Coaches you might not have heard of, but have amazing ideas. And I firmly believe every coach in America has genius within them. It's not all about the state championships. It's about the impact you have on your kids and your community. So stay tuned to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. This is Coach Kevin Furtado. Today is episode 176 with Coach Craig Campbell. Coach Campbell just completed his 26th season as head girls basketball coach and his 15th season as head coach at Clovis West High School in Fresno, California. In 11 years as varsity coach at Reno High School, they won eight straight Sierra League championships and averaged 22 wins per season. Reno High School was the 2001 4A state champion and 2000-2004-2005 4A state runner-up. Reno High was also the regional champion in 98, 2000, 2003, 2004, and 2005. He has over 600 career wins and has been recognized as Coach of the Year in 23 of his 26 seasons by multiple publications. His teams have produced an abundance of all-league and all-state selections. Under Coach Campbell's tutelage, 50 players have gone on to play collegiate basketball in the last 19 seasons. In his 15 years at Clovis West, Coach Campbell's teams have won 390 games, 15 consecutive league titles, and 2007, 2008, 2010, 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 2019, and 2020 Valley Championships, including winning the CIF Open Division State Championship, as well as being chosen as ESPN's 2017 National Champion. They were the only Central Section team to be selected for the state's Open Division six straight years, which consists of the top 16 teams in the state. His teams have won 22 consecutive league championships. He was also the first coach to win the prestigious Nike Tournament of Champions with two different schools, including winning the National Division in 2017. He was also chosen as the 2017 California State Coach of the Year. I'm really excited to be talking to Coach Campbell. Um, you know, we have had our share of great coaches on this podcast. Um, but I'm telling you, Coach Campbell has established himself not only just at Clovis West, but at Reno High School as well. Talk about a nationally recognized program that is producing unbelievable players at every level, uh, at the college level. And he is a consistent winner. I'm going to ask him, hey, what are you doing 
to build this great program. What are, what are some details that we can learn from your program that we can add to our program? So he's going to be great. We're also going to talk to him about um, he's considered the king of hop. And that means he teaches his girls how to shoot off the hop, one of the top three-point shooting teams in the country. Um, and we're, I'm really going to take a lot of notes on that. So, Coach Campbell, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Kevin, are you there? Hey, Good, how are you? I appreciate you joining me, man. I, I, um, I know you've been working hard and so forth, and I appreciate you taking the time out to come on my podcast. Thanks again. Oh, no, I, I'm happy to. It, it, I actually really enjoy it. It's always fun talking hoops. I mean, if you really love the game, it's always just nice to be able to talk and share and reminisce and all that. Yeah, absolutely on that. And we're kind of headed into kind of every time I speak to a coach, it's like, hey, what are you doing now to try to get prepared? Because we're, we're definitely not prepared for what's going on out there. I guess everybody's just kind of just kind of grinding it out day by day, aren't you? Yeah, no, I mean, there, there's definitely a ton of uncertainty to it all. But, um, you know, we're other than the game part, we're kind of at a point where we're kind of a little bit more normal. Obviously, there's modifications with what's going on. But um, we spend most of our offseason focusing on skill development. And I know a lot of them, you know, have pickup games going on all the time. But it's like these kids play a bazillion games between right. our high school and their their club seat teams. They're going to play plenty. So. Um, it's, it's nice for us. It's been kind of a staple of our program that we take a lot of pride in is, um, really seeing our kids get better each year. They don't get better because they get older, they get better because they grow their game. And so just to be back in the gym four days a week, working on their skill stuff, um, it, it, it just, you know, it, it's picking up where we should be. We're, we're missing the, the application phase of being able to do it in a game. Um, but I, I, I'm already seeing the improvement in our kids. So that's exciting. Yeah, and that, that's really what I want you to talk about because I know that you have you're, – you're connected with all your kids from really from the early grades all the way up. It's amazing what you're doing after studying and kind of research, researching your program. Hey, tell the audience a little bit about yourself on how you got started in the game, growing up in the game, and how that love of basketball kind of transformed you into really the great coach you are right now. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It just – you know – I. I've always loved the game. I was actually, ironically, I was a better quarterback than I was basketball player. I mean, I was solid in both, <laughs> solid in both, but I was a six, six quarterback, but my love was um, just always basketball. And when it came time to start figuring out, you know, okay, playing time is winding down, playing days are winding down. What am I going to do? I just, I got offered a, a, a seventh grade B girls team. And I mean, at the time I was in college, I'm like, heck, 500 bucks for a six-week season. You know, that's that's good spending money, right? And so uh, I, I just did it on the side and loved it. And the boys and girls seasons were at opposite times. So then they said, well, why don't you stay on and do our eighth-grade A boys? And so I stayed there. And so I was doing girls and boys for four years um, at the middle school level. And, I mean, at 20, I was a JV boys assistant. At 21, I was a JV girls head coach. And at 22, I was a girls varsity head coach. And I, I never, I never was aligning with boys or girls, just enjoyed teaching the game and being around the girls. What I really enjoyed over the boys was it was just such egoless basketball. Um, you, you didn't have 12 Billies that were coached by their dad. And every Billy thinks he's going to be the next Michael or LeBron and they don't want to pass the ball. The girls were just 
the attention to detail and, and they'd run through a wall for you. And I, I'm so detail oriented and competitive. It, it really kept me really close to the game. Um, and, and so I really enjoyed that part. And it just drew me as I was just trying to move my way up. I got started into, into the girl side at personal varsity and I, I never left. I really enjoy um, being able to teach and break things down and how appreciate how coachable the girls are. Yeah, it's so true. I can definitely connect with you because this is going to be my 30th year and I've, I've coached. Now, now, check this out. You've probably done the same, it sounds like. I have coached boys and girls in the same year and talk about insanity. But I found out right away, you know, <laughs> coaching on the girls' side is definitely my way to go. You're right. The, the teachability, the coachable spirits, all that. Um, now, if you had a choice – and sometimes people have a choice. Would you actually stay just coaching at the girls' level? Yeah, I've, I've actually been offered a couple varsity boys' jobs here in town, and, and good jobs. I mean, good jobs where you could win and be successful, and I, I literally had zero interest. Um, <laughs> I, I think in order to do guys, it'd have to be at a much higher, higher level. You know, the, the <clears throat> level of athletic ability is always a little intriguing. Um, I always tell people, you know, uh, I have a bunch of lob plays that would be dunks on the girl guy side and their their layups for us, <laughs> you know. And right. so, um, but other than that, I, I I really appreciate and enjoy the fundamental side of the girls, um, and they're they're just sponges. And I think you know sometimes boys do things athletically that they can't tell you how they did it, but girls, you you, you teach them stuff and then you see them apply it, and it's so rewarding for you and for them to see that growth. And so. Um, you know, I'm, I'm entering my 27th year on the girl side and I, I don't have any desire to be on the boy side, honestly. Yeah. It, it's almost like the, um, the purity of the game. You can really do all the details and kids. You're right. The, the girls really listen and apply that. Hey, who are some of your mentors? And I, there's some great coaches out there. I'm mean, whether high school in California, the state is so big. Who are some of the guys that are kind of like your truth tellers guys that you rely on? To, to tell you what's going on. Well, you know, I mean, when I first got into coaching, I, I really, um, you know, I, I don't know what's happened today because I feel like it's gone backwards. I feel like the co a lot of young coaches and newer coaches come through today and they just don't seem to have that same respect for those that have gone through before them and, right. and learning from each other. And I, I mean, I just, I remember getting started. I, I started looking at who the top two programs were and what are they doing that, that we aren't. Besides having good players, you know, how, how, do, how, how long do they practice? What do they work on? What are they great at? And then I started stealing not just from great programs, but other, other programs. I got my, my high school alma mater, they were a state champion football program. And they had a, a high, high level of discipline in how they conducted themselves. And their jerseys were always tucked in and helmets always on. And just little things from winning programs that I could steal and make a part of our program. Um, in terms of direct coaches, um, you know, there's been so many over the years that I've stolen from and borrowed from, um, you know, currently Vance Wahlberg's our, our boys um, coach and Vance does such a tremendous job. And, and when I first moved down to Clovis West from, high school, um, I, I liked some of the things he was doing and spent some time with him. Um, I currently talked to several, it's funny that the, the list of, of coaches you've talked to from California Kelly Sopak and Sue Phillips and Kevin Kiernan and Doc Shepper have all become good coaching friends of mine that our personal lives and professional lives have overlapped. And, um, you know, there's times during the season I'm like, hey, Sue, we suck at rebounding right now. What, what are some other drills that you do? Or, you know, hey, hey Kelly, our, our zone stuff just is not clicking. What's some other? So I'm, I'm constantly talking to other people, um, college coaches as well. And then 
you know, it's neat because I'll have a lot of people reach back out to me and say, hey, you know, I, I need to see that set you guys ran at this time. And, you know, we're getting ready for playoffs. And so I, I think anytime you think you've reinvented the wheel or, you know, you're, 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 you're doing things that nobody's ever done before, you're, you're kind of misled because we're really just all stealing, copying, tweaking from each other and being willing to, to jump into that fraternity and sorority and share um, and learn from each other is, is how we all grow. Yeah, do you think that's kind of a separator of great coaches like yourself? You're willing to almost like almost not necessarily. I mean, I think you're willing almost to humble yourself and say, "Hey, you know what? What do you think about this and that?" Do you think most coaches do that? I, I get the feeling that a lot of your coaches don't want that feedback. Um, I, what do I you think? think? I think there's several people. Um, you know, I think you can tell sometimes when you compete against people that. They, they think they have all the answers. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, this is my 27th year, and I played from the time I was four or five. Um, I, I'm still learning. I mean, there's right. stuff we ran this year that I'm like, gosh, dang, with that national championship team we had, that stuff would have been real. We would have been even better. You know, and it's like you, you go back and start thinking of new stuff you're, you're taking and learning. And, you know, I, I've recently in the last two years been studying a lot of Euro stuff that they're running, and, and they, they do a lot of things differently. And it, it's it's unorthodox and it's different. And it's cutting edge, and um, you, you know, there, there's just a lot of. I, I told somebody recently that I've had way more people out of our area, out of Central California, come to our practices than I've had of people in our area. And why that is, I don't know. If it's you know intimidated, jealousy, think they know it all, um, don't want to learn how we do things because they can do it themselves. I don't know what it is, but I mean, I, I've gone to multiple practices, boys and girls here in the Valley and, and, and afar, but I mean, we've had people come from, from Florida and from Chicago and Southern Cal boys and girls staffs. Um, you know, we're just, we're just trying to, to always learn from each other. And when somebody's there, I'll ask them, Hey, you know, what, what are some things we can do better in practice? You know, I, I think you, you have to be willing to, we, we kind of have a saying in our program that, when you come in as a hot shot going to be freshman, it's not until you realize you're not as good as you think you are that you really free your mind up to grow. When, mm, when you think right. when you think you're already have arrived, that your your ceiling is is very low. But when you realize I'm not quite as good as I've been told all these years, then you free your mind up to want that input. And I think that's where you get to as a coach when you get secure enough to know you don't have all the answers and you might do a lot of things very successfully, but I, every time I go to a, a, a winter tournament, I, I watch other teams and I, I watch what they do better than us. And I, gosh, dang, that, that team, you know, that God, they push the ball better than us. Or, you know, they're just whatever it is. And then I go back to practice. I, I want to be, I want us to be as good as they are in that area now. Yeah, I love that. Always, always trying to get better. That's kind of a, a saying that we have in our program as well. But tell me about Vance Wahlberg, coach, in the sense that, man, you, you have a guy right there, and and I, I you're you're probably going to tell me, hey, you started the dribble drive before him, right? <laughs> you know, no, I mean Vance created the dribble drive, and and it's right. funny because we do a lot of similar things, but we also do a lot of different things, right? Um, right. But I think the thing I love the most about Vance is his he has tremendous attention to detail, like I do, and so I, I love how he gets down deep into minutia. And can explain why he does things, not just oh, I, I just do it, you know. And I, I always kind of laugh when I get in debates with people about certain things, and they, they can't explain the why. 
I mean, we can agree to disagree, but at least be able to tell me why you do them the way you do. And right. so Vance, Vance has that level of minutiae and detail. Um, you know, a lot of people say, oh, Clovis West girls is just, they just run dribble drive and press and trap. And it's like, Ooh, if you think that's all we do, it's going to be a, a long, the, the year we won the, the, the state championship, we, we, we won games hitting 22 threes. We won games hitting four threes. We won games shredding a zone. We run games, beating a man. We, we played man. We pressed, we ran a zone. It's like, we, I'm never one of those subscribers in pick one or two things and be great at them. I, I feel like, why can't we be really, really good in 10 things? And so that's just a personal challenge and viewpoint I have. Um, and, and I like to make our team as, as great as we can be in, in, in so many facets. So I mean, we, we run a lot of different stuff. We have stuff that we have that we prepare for all year that we may not ever use in a, in a year, but, but we're trying to be prepared for anything thrown at us. Yeah. And I appreciate the transparency there. Cause I think a lot of coaches, um, uh, and I think everybody's different, right, Coach? Because we try to be, like, really good in one or two or three things. We have a really small school, so and we have limited t- limited talent pool, but we try to be really good in one or two or three things. But you know what? That's the artistry of the game, right? Everybody can do it differently. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I talked earlier about stealing things from other programs, and one of the things I've always respected, I mean, of a multitude of things, one of the things I've always respected about Belichick and the Patriots they can throw 55 times on that Sunday. And then the next week they're going to run it 35 <laughs> times. Sure. And, and, and they, they can just totally change their packages and, but they're prepared for it. It's not so. And that, that's one thing people don't understand is when you're going to do a major overhaul like that, that's been repped for months. You've been building those, those pieces. You don't do that on game day or in the game without all the reps you've done in practice. And so, you know, we, we try to, the, the different offenses we run allow our kids to face dribble drive. It allows our teams to, our team to, to play against true motion. Um, so, so our kids are, are defending screens off the ball, on ball screens, dribble penetration. So we're, we're trying to get our, our defense and offense as versatile as it possibly can be. Yeah. I love that. And you're also, Hey, let's be honest. You're preparing for the next level because that's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to learn. They're going to have to be able to adapt at the next level. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know we've gotten a lot of great feedback in the last several years of our kids, our kids feeling they have and the coaches feeling that they've adjusted really well. Um, you know, we like right now we, we go we go eight to 10 skill work and 10 to 11 weights. And I know some of our kids have gotten to college and, and their incoming freshman teammates have never lifted a day in their life through high school. Right. Um, they, they've never had a seven o'clock practice in the morning before or a three hour practice, or, you know, so, so our kids are a little more acclimated to what the grind of that. There's always an adjustment, but they're a little more acclimated to what the grind of the next level is and how demanding it is. And, and they, our kids tend to maybe not get burnt out as much and not have the culture shock because they're, they're just used to being blue collar worker types of kids that love the game. Yeah, that's so true. I love how you guys are putting a lot of time in on the individual skills. I, uh, my good friend, I, I spoke to him on my last podcast from um, Buford High School out here, and Gene and his son have, are coaching together. Man, they they will skill you to death. And one thing that he told me, he says, Coach, it doesn't matter what we run. Our players are so skilled, we can run anything. But the things that we do, we, we're, we're very versatile and we're very skilled all-around players. Yeah, and I, and I think I think that's something I would hope people would look at our program and, and say the same about the 
that 2017 team that was so tremendous for us, you know, we, we didn't have any McDonald's All-Americans. In fact, I think we beat eight or nine McDonald's All-Americans that year, and we beat nine of the top 25 that year. Um, and we won the, the national division, the Nike TLC that year. And we, we never passed the eye test. We, we'd come in and, and, and we didn't have the six, four kid or three, six, two long rangey kids. Our tallest kid was six foot barely. Um, but we had eight girls that could all pass and shoot and dribble and understood spacing and never cared who got the shot and who got the numbers. They just wanted to win. Um, and, and so, you know, I think when they're selling these kids on, you, you got to get 25 a game to be, to be great. No, you don't. I mean, we, we had nobody over average over about 14 a game on that team. And we ended up with seven division one and two and, and a full ride division two player on that team. Um, so, you know, that that's the, the, the ISO ball, the one-on-one stuff. I mean, it doesn't translate at the highest levels of high school, let alone at the next level. Yeah. That says a lot about your program. It sounds like you had great balance and, that says a lot about coaches trying to develop more depth in their program. I don't think we do enough of that. We focus on the top tier players. Man, we need to we need to try to build fifteen players that are skilled, which is no, hard. Absolutely, to do. <laughs> absolutely. You, you you have to. And I know there's been years that um, you know we've won our league our last fifteen years. Um, during that time, we've lost four games, so we're one forty six and four in our league in fifteen years. And there were, there were times, yeah, we, we've done okay there. Um, <laughs> That's not bad. <laughs> yeah. But, but there were times that I thought talent wise, we were third or fourth in league. We just lost a really good group mm-hmm. and the next group came in and, you know, those young kids that were going to be studs weren't quite studs yet, but we kind of had that program confidence about it and that tradition. And those kids put on that Jersey kind of knowing what the expectation is and the standard is. And, there were times I felt that our culture and our tradition kind of carried us through to continue that when maybe we were second, third, fourth best in talent. Yeah. I'm going to talk, I'm going to ask you about what, you know, your culture and how you build your program. But before you do that, um, I know you are a self-reflective artist. I want you to talk about that a little bit because I believe basketball, I think your best coaches have a great deal of artistry and creativity. I have my own personal belief. How does that carry over to your coaching being really kind of a talented artist? You know, it's, it's that same level of detail. Um, I work very photorealistically in my artwork. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> I want my, my drawings to look like a photograph when they're done. Um, I love my combining my two loves. I love doing sports art because I love capturing the emotion of the game. I, I don't like portrait type stuff. That's boring to me. Um, so like I recently just did that Conor McGregor piece and, you know, he's screaming and I, I love catching the veins and the twinkle in the eye and all that stuff and the sweat. And um, so I, that, that attention to detail for me for both is, is paramount to, to my success as a coach and my success as an artist. Um, there, there's definitely that, you know, and I think, you, you know, you tap into that, that creative side, willing to take some chances um, willing to tweak some things and, and kind of think outside the box a little bit. Um, I, I think it's been a, I, I joke, I was dropped on my head as a child to have the whole jock artist thing, but, uh, <laughs> All right. you know, it, 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 it's been a, a yin and yang for me. I, I, I really do. I feel like your greatest coaches, man, just had that creative. They're willing, like you said, you mentioned a good point step out of the outside the box. Uh, I might send you some pictures, coach. I, w- I want you to do some designing for me. I, I mean, I'll pay you whatever, but, uh, I would love to get it. Uh, some photos done. What do you think? 
No, it sounds good. I'm I'm always I'm always up for more work. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, talk about your culture because I always believe culture trumps strategy. I think your best programs, man, they have a certain way they do things. How, what's your way at Clovis West? Well, and you know, it's funny. I I got to do a debate with a uh, out of area media person <clears throat> a couple years back that said, "What what's more important, talent or culture?" And I said, culture, hands down, culture trumps talent. And they, they debated back and forth with me. And I said, it, it, if you have talent and crappy culture, it's going to fall apart. Right. But if you have tremendous culture with adequate talent, you, you can be really good. And so, you know, our, our culture for us is non-negotiable. I mean, there, there's things with how we enter the gym, with how we warm up and prepare for practice. Um, there, there's no jewelry allowed in, in practice at all. Jerseys are tucked in when they step on the court. Um, the, the way we enter a, a gym as a team, like, you know, every, everybody's got the, the hooded sweats and all the stuff. And, and I, I want our kids entering the gym with our, our sweat zipped up, looking nice. We have the same team travel shoe. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's how we conduct ourselves in the classroom and at school as well as on the, on the plane floor. Um, any, any time a, a teammate gives you an assist in, in a game or practice, you better point and acknowledge assist. If you don't, you're going to step out and run. And it only takes a kid one or two times of, of not being used to that before they realize you acknowledge assist and make sure your teammate understands that you appreciate and value it. And those are non-negotiable things. Um, you know, the communication, just there, there's tons of infinite little details we do, but I, I think you can't compromise that ever for, a, a, a busy, noisy, unhappy parent, a super talented kid. Um, I think you need to find your identity. And that's why it's so impro- important to, you know, study other programs and co- coaches that have done it already. So you're not trying to navigate through it from the beginning and, and, and make a bunch of errors and, and then find, find what you believe in and what works for you and, and hold people to that. Um, kids thrive under discipline. Um, I, I had, I had somebody recently say, you know, it's funny. No, everybody says they don't want discipline and structure until they need discipline and structure, you know, and, until they lose cause they're so un, undisciplined and you know, it, it, kid, kids thrive under discipline. Kids don't thrive under the rolled out and play or the no guidance or structured home mentalities. And so, um, you know, I, I think, I think that culture is just some your standards. You, you have to be firm on them and, and it has to apply to your best player all the way down to your 12th player. Right. That's so true. And I, I'm just thinking of all the great programs. And I, of course, I, I, I try to steal things as well from all the great programs. You notice that when, when a team like you're talking about, you know, not only looking good, but your presentation when you walk in the gym. There's a lot of teams, coach, right, that walk in the gym and say, ah, they might have some good uniforms, man, but they don't, they're not, they don't have a lot of class. Um, so how you act, uh, how, how you act when somebody comes off the bench, players running off the court, things like that. Those are huge, right? Absolutely. Like when a, when a player exits the bench, they start at the front of the bench, no matter (laughs) if you're getting your butt chewed, if you're playing great, if you're in tears, you start at the front of the bench, you high five the entire team, the whole bench stands up and, and gives you five. If you were to ever like snub a coach, snub a teammate. It, it's not going to be a pretty scene for you because that, that's just unacceptable. Um, throwing water bottles on the bench, um, you know, temper tantrums. We, we just, we aren't about that. Um, every, every time a kid in our program hits a three, the girl, whoever the girl is at the front of the bench, 
jumps up and runs down the bench and does this high five thing that has just become a tradition for us. And, you know, the, those are things that, you know, you, you have the, the name on the front has to be more important than the name on the back. It's like, otherwise, why are we doing this? I mean, if you want to be an individual, go play golf, go play tennis, go swim, you know, the, go, go find an individual boxing, a individual sport to, to jump into. But when you accomplish things greater than yourself, that those are the special those are the special feelings, you know, when, when you had to do rely on the person next to you or lift up the person next to you to accomplish what you wanted to accomplish. How are you adapting? You mentioned high fives. We're a high five team. That's a requirement. That's one of our non-negotiables, but not anymore. So we created, you know, the, the air fist. We're, we're just having a blast with it because I think to adapt, you got to be creative and you got to change it up. So our girls get together and we do like an air fist because uh, we, we used to do a lot of high fives. So how are you adapting to the changes where we can't do high fives anymore, really? Well, it's funny. When we started back up, we're on week three of being back with our kids. And um, <laughs> one of our things that we do every day, every day in practice, we, we talk a lot about PTs, physical touches, high-fiving somebody right. versus just telling them good job and, and just all the positives that come out of that. And every day we wrap up practice with, our players come and shake the hand of the coach, look them in the eye and tell them, thank you. And that's just been something from day one that we've done here. And it, it's been kind of cool because several colleges have, have adopted it as our kids have gone on. Cause our players are just so used to it. They'd go up and thank their college coach each day. And they're like, what are you doing? And they're like, you know, and, <laughs> sure. and, and it's funny because we, for a while, you know, there's times you might be really frustrated with a kid and you don't even want to <laughs> talk to them right now. But that embrace and saying thank you and looking each other in the eye, it, it, it squashes it and it leaves it there and is done right. for the day. And so the, the first day I came back with these guys, one, one of the things that's happened over the years is one of the girls one time made up a handshake with me instead of, instead of shaking my hand. Well, now it's become a rite of passage. Once you make varsity, you get to create your own handshake. And so each of our girls has a different handshake. So I got to remember like 15 or 17 of them. But sure. so day one of coming back with them, I said, hey, we're not going to lose that piece of our program. So what we're, we're doing our handshakes, but we're doing it in the air. But we're doing th right. three slaps and a snap and a double fist pump and and with each of them. Um, but, yeah, we're still th that acknowledgement and that praise. And for us, the close of each day um, is still valuable. And so we're doing the air version of it, but we weren't going to just um, – let that slide because of these times. Yeah. And that, that says a lot about your program and your culture right there, because you mentioned a good word, acknowledgement of each other. Right. I, I think your great coaches do that. Um, uh, the one thing that I've added this little tradition, and I want to hear some of your traditions is uh, I got this from a friend of mine is be where your feet are. He allows in the first minute of practice, he allows his girls to do whatever they want get everything off their mind. And then when they say, be where your feet are, they all come to attention, ready to practice. And it doesn't seem important, but it allows kids to be kids. Allows, and then, hey, man, now it's time to get your mindset right. So what do you think about that? I mean, there's always some great things out there to steal. From. Well, it's funny. I, I try to use that phrase in my own personal life because, as you know, be, <laughs> being a coach, it's hard to shut it down. And I bring it home a lot. I got a wife and four kids and, you know, my daughter played for me and there's times I was frustrated with her. She's frustrated with me and we bring it home. 
um, or, right. or, or maybe you're dealing with a parent problem and, you, and it's eating at you. And I, I'm just, I'm one that can't sit on things. I have to deal with things now. And then when I got to deal with it the next day, I dwell on all for 24 hours. Um, so I, I, I use that exact phrase in my own personal life. I struggle with it still, but I try to be where your feet are. It's, it's home. It's family time. It's church time. It's basketball time. It's classroom time and be there. But, um, you know, our kids, we, we have a seventh period right before practice. We have a, a weights period. So I think our kids get some of that out during that period. Um, they're in the weight room. It's, it, you know, usually the music's playing, they're working hard. They get that socialization piece out. Um, we have this ACL prevention routine that we do, um, while they stretch and warm up every day. So they kind of get that social part out then. Um, and, and our kids just kind of learn the, the, when, when it's okay to kind of lighten up a little bit and when it's not, but we go pretty hard for two and a half hours every day. So I, th- I think our kids kind of get that part out, but they, they, they know like when we step out on that rectangle, it, it's, it's time to get to work. So I, I think our kids get that social part out, um, you know, with, with that pre, pre-practice routine and then also um, in the weight room. Yeah, I love that. Um, <clears throat> talk about now, Coach. You, I think you mentioned yesterday that we talked a little bit on the through the email about uh, the hop, and we're a hop program. I mean, we teach it from the little kids all the way up, and people always laugh at that. Um, but you're the king of the hop, right? So talk a little bit about how have you developed these groups. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I'd love to help you get game results this season. Check out a free trial of my Pure Sweat training app on the Google Play and App Store today. Hello, my name is Rory Hamilton. I'm the head girls basketball coach at Norman North High School in Norman, Oklahoma. If you're looking for top-notch basketball coaching instruction and help, Look no further than the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. You can listen about our five keys to success at Norman North Girls Basketball, along with many other podcasts at championshipvision.org or listen on Spotify at Championship Vision. Happy hooping. Great shooters in your program. You guys are excel in shooting. Well, I appreciate that. I, I don't think I can officially be the king until Doc retires because he has Do- Doc has <laughs> right. self-anointed himself. <laughs> the king of hot because he, okay. he's been doing it a good 20 years before me. So I, I have to, I have to right. respect his title. Uh, I think he usually calls me as vice president though, but um, you know, I, I used to teach inside put inside um, inside pivot and 10 toes of the rim. And I was very anal about it. And that was the right way to shoot shoot. And I'd studied it. And th- then I, I kept getting some information about, you know, a different way, a different way, a different way. And one time I brought in a group that was kind of, that was starting to teach the hop. Just, I'm like, I'm going to bring them in for three hours and just, just see what they're about. And I, we had 11 returners that year. And I told our kids, I said, look, have a totally open mind for three hours. If we hate it, we'll never do it again. I said, but ju- just let, let's see what this is really about. Cause I'm trying, I was basically trying to find fault in it. And at the end of three hours, every one of our kids, they felt quicker, more relaxed and more accurate. All 11 of you feel those three things. We need to look at this longer. And so sure. we, we started. And so what I started studying um, was what, what are the common shooting fundamentals of the greatest shooters in the world, men and women versus what we teach. And you're, you're going to have some people like Reggie Miller and some that were elite shooters that, that didn't necessarily have the best fundamentals, but out of the people we'd consider pretty fundamentally sound, what are the common 
denominators. And so we started studying that and getting our kids, you know, getting their feet to 11 o'clock and index finger in the middle of the ball. And, and, and then the hop was, was a part of the process. And we started teaching it. And then I'd always remembered, you know, Doc and I had crossed paths a couple times. Um, and, and then we had some epic, epic battles. We, we literally had a double overtime, a double overtime and a triple overtime game in three successive games against each other. Um, and, and so I went back to him and said, you know, hey, I, I know you do this a lot. We, we're kind of transitioning into it. And so Doc and I, for the last, gosh, decade or more, have been just constantly talking about it. I'll send him clips. He'll send me clips. Um, and I, I just think it's an absolute no-brainer. Um, mm-hmm. the, last, the last six years, Pinewood and Clovis West are the two most dominant hop shooting teams in the, in the state. Miramonte has joined us. Um, and I would, I would say probably in the last five years, one of those three schools has been in the top three point shooting team in the state, um, every year. And so, you know, can you say it's there, there's not a correlation, you know, it's kind of hard to say there's not a correlation. Um, Absolutely. one of the things I think a huge, now one of the things I think huge advantage of the hop, first of all, is it, it's hands down quicker. And anybody that wants quicker. to argue that yeah. is a fool. I mean, you, you cannot argue it's not quicker. Um, I think for us with the level, you know, we always talk about what we want to do. We're talking about playing against the state's elite. So we don't talk about, well, will this work against somebody we're going to be beat by 40? We're talking about, will this work against the, the best teams in the state that we have to beat? I feel like in the, against elite competition, we get six to 10 threes off a game that we wouldn't get off of a one, two pivot. Cause it's too slow because against mm-hmm. elite competition, they're faster, they're bigger, they're longer, they're, they're, they're better talent probably better coached um you're just not going to get the shots unless it's in tempo um I, I love the fact of being able to use either pivot foot and attacking closeouts um it's a huge advantage off the hop um and and so all those things factoring in it just whenever a college coach comes in one of the first thing they say is god your, your kids shots are so quick um and and doc was the one that actually started timing and, and talking about how fast it is and you know, our best elite shooters get their shot off in about 0.4, 0.43 seconds. I mean, it, right, it, sure. it, it, it's gone and it's not rushed. Um, people will tell people shoot faster. We, you can't tell a kid to shoot faster. That, that's, that's not natural. Now they're just heaving it at the basket. Um, sometimes I have to remind our shooters, hey, you don't need to rush because the hop's already fast. You know, they, they almost try to shoot fast with the hop. And it's like, no, you're, you're already fast. Just be comfortable. Um, and so the, the thing I think people lose in it when they, when they start to do the hop is like, I'll have people bring me in for a clinic, doing a, a three hour clinic with your program is not going to fix the world. You've got to be invested in it as a coach and nitpick it and teach it and refine it every single day. Um, the first 30 minutes of our practice every single day is competitive game speed shooting. And we have five coaches and we're circulating and nitpicking the entire time. And just t- trying to human nature is they're going to get lax and make mistakes. Our job is to keep it nice and tight and looking right. And that's why Steph Curry has a coach that works him out. That's why Tiger Woods has a hitting coach. It's human nature to, to have flaws and develop and develop bad habits. And so um, if you're not going to nitpick it every day, it, it's, it's not going to work for you. I think what hop did for us, um, it took our poor shooters and made them solid, our solid to good and our good to great. Um, it, it, it can help eliminate some fundamental mechanical problems kids have when they shoot because the tempo is so quick. They don't have time to maybe have a hitch and catapult it to their shoulder. Um, 
and, and it's just I, I love how fast it is and how how quickly we can get get our shot off and how we can adjust to errant passes. Um, there's times with a one two, you're just catching the ball to save it from going out of bounds, but off the hop, you can take one one little shuffle step and hop behind it and still be able to get that shot off um, on on a skip pass or or end of a shot clock. Yeah, and, and coach, to be honest with you, when I put it in two years ago after. The king of hop, actually, he told me and sent me these great videos on, you know, shot drills and so forth. Man, my shooters improved tremendously and we're still working on uh, getting better. Tell me about give me give me some of the things you nitpick. Give me some drills that you do because I want to steal from you and give me some of the things that you would nitpick on to get them maybe a little quicker. So, you know, we do. We've got about six to eight um, what, what we refer to as our hop shooting warm up drills. And we, okay. we will do a different one every day. So um, okay. w- one of them is if you have four to a basket, we'll go two balls and we'll have two lines. So we'll have two passes on the baseline, two, two shooters at about – we start at six feet. and Everything, everything we start at six feet and progress to three. Um, but they're, they're literally quick fire, and I could defeat the quick fire, but they're in a shooting stance. And so we're working on getting our feet light and quick, hopping in the air, catching in the air, landing right into your shot, and then they'll, they'll just circle through. Passer goes to shooter, shooter goes to goes to grabs a rebound and goes to passer, and then they it, every one of them is like a three minute drill. The start of practice, the first thing we do, um, and so they progress back to three point line. Um, we'll do a flip hop one where they they hold it underhand and flip it up to themselves above their eyes, and they got to hop and catch it in the air as soon as their feet come down. One, one of the one of the teaching points I teach kids is the hot stove mentality. You don't put your hand on a stove and go, oh man, that that's hot and my hand's burning. I better pull it off. The second you touch a hot stove, you're, you're ripping your hand away because you—it's instantaneous. We want our—we sure. want our feet to fire like a hot stove. We don't want our okay. feet to come to rest and lose tempo. As soon as our feet come down, we want to be so. Our whole thing is you got to load properly in the air. In, in like half a second, you got to have perfect hand placement in your shot pocket. And when those feet hit, it's a hot stove. They got to fire and go. Uh, making sure the kids aren't doing the pogo—I call it the pogo stick where they jump and, and stretch out their body tall to come back down and, and load on the shot. We, we want to, I told our kids, I said, basically you're, you're jumping rope in a, in a squat position, in a seated position. So we, we want just a, a quick reset of the feet versus hopping and letting our bodies go long like a pogo stick and then having to reload because now you're losing time and, and, you're, and you're losing that tempo that you worked hard to create. Um, we really nitpick trying to get our hands correct, catching a lot of girls catch with a hand on each side of the ball and then have to rotate and, and load the ball. We really try to catch with a shooting hand behind the ball like a first baseman and really catch and mm-hmm. place that index finger in the middle of the ball and nitpick that. And that's your non-shooting hand. I hate calling it the guide hand. I changed it several years ago because it shouldn't be guiding it anywhere. So your non-shooting hand should be catching with your fingers to the ceiling. A lot of kids put their mm-hmm. hand up on top or in front of the ball to hold it in place. Um, so the, there's there's about 10 or 12 little details, you know, making sure your feet are, are, are at 11 o'clock for a right-handed shooter to line your hip um, or, or 1 o'clock for a left-handed shooter. All these little details we're constantly nitpicking. Um, one of the things we try to tell our kids, too, is every one of them, when they're not shooting well, have, probably has one to two consistent bad habits. Whether it's you follow through to the left, you don't use enough legs, your elbow flares, whatever it is. We try to get our kids to start to be a little bit self-accountable and say, okay, know what your one or two errors, common errors are, and try to self-correct. If you know that 
that you tend to load under your chin, which makes your elbow go out. If you're not shooting well, start with that and make sure that you're, you're loading in the correct shot pocket, you know? And so trying to help the kids to be accountable and, and what I've been doing, what I do with them a lot, and I've been doing a lot with these kids just this week is um, filming them. The, 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 it's like a light bulb goes on when, when they see what they're doing versus being told what they're doing because they just, they don't know, they don't see it. They don't feel it. And then sure. once they see it, it's like, Oh, and all of a sudden it's, <laughs> it's a great enlightening. Um, and then the, the kids seem to do a much better job of starting to fix it at that point. Cause they, they actually see what you're talking about. Yeah. I love the detail. I, the hot stove. I love coach. So I, I'm going to take that for, I mean, I just want to tell you, absolutely. I absolutely love that. And I have a player though. Now most of our players are groomed in it. Uh, but I tell you what I love. I love how you even probably even your best players, your, your Nick picky man, which says a lot about your program. I have a new player that came into our program. She's just learning the hot. Now she's very athletic. She's very skilled, but she hasn't hopped before. And what's happening is she's actually hopping fairly quickly, but the ball getting into her shot pocket is very slow. It's the weirdest thing. So how would I quicken that just a little bit? You know, it's, I, I try to tell our kids, I try to get our kids to use six feet as a gauge. You don't want to you don't want to catch the ball late because it really screws up tempo and you definitely don't want to catch and hop obviously it's a travel, but we we try to use about six feet as a gauge about when that ball's six feet away your feet need to be in the air, and when it hits your hand your feet need to be in the air. Um, if she's slow to load it might be yeah. I mean a, a couple kids that I've had over the years that have been slow to load, either they're extending their arms straight out all the way out like locking your elbows out and it's making it it's making that load time longer because now they got to pull it all the way back in. It also tends to make them push the ball. Um, sometimes it's having bad hands with the way they're catching it. I got a couple of kids that want to catch and like lace the ball up. There, there's just no time for that. Even right. if you're a one, two shooter, there's no time to lace the ball up um, or to seam it. So um, trying to keep, we try to keep our, our catch hands at about six to nine inches from the chest and really try to catch that index finger of your shooting hand right in the middle of the ball. So I, I tell him, I said, you know, every time I see a kid drop a pass, I go, you didn't want it. And I like, go, what do you mean? I go, I go, I've never seen a great shooter that wants the ball drop a pass. And so, you know, it's, it's just getting those kids to, we use the phrase, hunt your shot. Are you out there hunting your shot and just begging for the ball? Or are you catching, realizing you're open and jacking it up? Cause well, now your shooting percentage just went down 25, 30%. So um, I, I would look at where she, how far away her arms are, where she's catching it. And is she catching it clean? Um, we talked to our kids a lot about don't have a two-part shot. You want your upper and lower body to work together. Um, your your hands are going to have to move faster than your legs, but the bottom of your load, it, you know, depending on how much a kid dips, some dip all the way to their waist, some dip six inches. The bottom of your load with your dip needs to be the bottom of your flexion of your legs, just like the release of the ball needs to be the extension of your legs. So, so getting those two to work together um, re really, really helps to, to make it a one-part shot. Yeah, I, I love the detail there. And that's something that we as coaches, and I'm sure you do, you got to spend time with that individual player and really break it down for her. I mean, that's where the, that's where the details are made, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like right now, we're, um, we've been working out, and I told so – we have a couple <laughs> kids that they're so caught up because we, we score every, every shooting drill, and it's timed, it's competitive, and some of them are so concerned with the result they're forgetting the process. 
Right. But I would rather have you take 10 great shots fundamentally because the, the makes and misses will come. I'd rather have you take 10 with great mechanics than get off 20 with poor mechanics. And so, you know, I've got a couple of kids that are going to come in extra um, in the next few days and just work with them, just with me one-on-one and slow it back down for them and, and break down. And, and I tell our kids, anytime you're having mechanical issues, get back to six feet. The, the, the three will take care of itself. Quit going out and shooting more threes if you've got mechanical issues. And so if you work in that six to 10 foot range, if you're making 90% at six to 10 feet, that three is going to fix itself. But, it, but if you can only make 50%, 40% at six to 10 feet, you, you, you've got work to do. Yeah, I love that. And the one thing that I stole from Doc was we do a lot of wall shooting. Um, and we love that. And that's something that you can really get a lot of great reps in. That's, I don't think people realize that by shooting, by shooting against a wall, how many reps you can get in that are positive. You can really work on technique, right? Yeah, and, and getting appropriate rotation and arc. Um, you know, Doc and I were talking about that. We were fortunate, and Doc was courteous enough to let us use his gym um, for the practice before a state game up there this year, and we were talking about that. And um, it, it was it was very humbling because, you know, Doc's such a guru at this, and he was so complimentary of how all 15 kids shot it correctly. Um, their temples look good. Their arcs look good. We actually have the NOAA system at our school um, on our two main hoops that okay. we purchased that is recording your arc, your depth, and your left to right on every shot. Um, so it's similar. You're just getting an audible feedback. But um, when we're shooting on those main hoops, it's going to tell you every shot you take, you know, 45 degrees is perfect arc. It's going to say 43, 42. Um, I had a kid that came to us that shot with tremendously over the top arc. And I kept telling her, bring it down, bring it down, bring it down. So one day I'm like, come here. I put went over, I put the no machine on, on arc and she was 54. And she didn't realize how high that was right. until she was, you know, starts hearing it. And then she had to start bringing it down versus me just telling her to, you know, hey, bring it down, bring it down. It's too high. It, it's a number that they measure and, and, and help that audio read feedback really helps them kind of correct that. Yeah, Noah is great. We don't have it yet in our program. That's something we're really working at. But, man, that if, if you really be, want to become a great shooting team, to me, that arc is so important. Um, Coach, it sounds like to me you guys are a mastery. I, I, the term I use is mastery of improvement. You're always trying to get better. Is that is that how you're building your your skilled players? Absolutely. I mean, I don't think – I mean, as, me as a coach and then back to our players, you know, we, we model the example. I'm always trying to get better as a coach. Um, our, our kids should be trying to get better. And, and I tell them even within the season, our best teams have always gotten better in February. Our best teams were not playing their best basketball in December, and they didn't ever plateau. And the teams that, that fell short are the ones that never – that stopped getting better. And so, um, you know, that, that there's a lot of mental toughness and maturity required of a kid to come into the gym in February wanting to improve still. Not just get to the next game or to the playoffs, but wanting to improve. And – that, that's a challenge we throw out to them. You know, can, can we get six points better this week? You know, can, can, we, can we get – can we improve in our box outs this week? Can we improve – you know, one, one of the things that we nitpick in our program in the last several years is we're so detail-oriented about our shooting, but we'll throw passes out of our, out of our shot radius and out of our so, catch so radius. True. Right. And so, you know, can you be a perfect passer? And <clears> one of our things is if you throw a crappy pass and don't say my bad or, or tell them, you know, acknowledge, then you're not fixed. You're, 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 that, that's just meaningless to you. 
But if a kid throws a bad pass, like, oh, you know, sorry, Haley, my bad. Okay, that kid knows that they threw a bad pass, and now they're gonna, they're gonna, that kid's trying to fix it. They know that that wasn't acceptable. But the kid that will throw ten in a row and never change expression, you, you gotta, you gotta realize the value of throwing a shootable ball. Yeah, that's funny you mentioned that because the coach I spoke with yesterday says, and this is you know coming from a guy that they won upkeen state championships out here. He says, man, we've been working on passing this year. He says, we we drilled them in passing, but we haven't taught it. That happens a lot with us coaches, and we want them to become like great passers, but have we really worked on the detail, the target, the hand targets, all that, correct? Yeah, and, and one thing I was, I was just working with our kids uh, two days ago on is, you know, if, if you follow through left with your shooting hand, you're going you're gonna to shoot the ball left. If you follow through right, you're going to shoot it right. Well, if I throw a pass and, and my hand ends up falling through to the ground, that ball is going to sail down on somebody. Or, or if I throw an overhead pass and my hands are up high, that ball is going to sail high. So sure. being able to follow through and finish your passes, you know, you're, you're, you're mm-hmm. directing the ball where you want to go. And it, it's just it's really sloppiness. Um, it's really lack of detail to not be a good passer. Um, and so it's just re- reminding the kids to to hold that standard high as well. Yeah, I totally agree. Coach, I, I do have – I, I want to kind of go through kind of your philosophy on offense and defense. Um, out here in Georgia, we just got the shot clock set. I mean, so we're starting the shot clock this year. It's going to be totally different out here in Georgia. Are, do you have it in California? Yes, we do. Tell me and, about how that – what's the difference and, and can – how has that affected California basketball? Because I'm very curious. You know, my first 11 years coaching was in Reno, um, and Nevada did not have a shot clock. <clears throat> and then my last 15 years have been in California with a shot clock. And when I was in Reno and we traveled down and played California teams a lot looking for competition, and I just always noticed at the end of the shot clock, they had kids that could make plays, and my kids had to get a shot within the offense. And – so that ability to create your own shot in California was very, very noticeable versus what was going on in Nevada because everything was – you could just keep running your damn offense for eight minutes if you had to uh, sure. until, until you found a shot. And so um, I, would, I would hate to coach without a shot clock, um, coaching for both a shot clock. It just, it's, the game is so much more enjoyable. Um, you know, end of a game in Nevada with, with – you know, back in the day, they used to have endless one-on-one. You know, they introduced the double bonus about 20 years ago or whatever it was. Um, <laughs> but it used to be endless one-on-one, which that right. made the end of the game a little little, little sketchier. You know, you could just keep fouling. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But with the double bonus, you kind of had – you kind of felt like you had three possessions to get back in the game. Because if you didn't do it in those three, once you're getting two shots, it was a lot harder. And so in California, you still have to play to win. Um, you know, you're, you're up eight with four minutes to go in Nevada. You're just going to hold the ball and, and foul and win the game. And down here, you, you still got a, you got about 15 more possessions. Um, and so, so that piece is good. Um, rewards, great defense. Um, you know, I, I joke, we used to either take a shot or turn it over before the 30 seconds anyway. So, you know, right. it, it's, it's not like it really messes up your offense, but just having kids being able to, you know, without a shot clock, you have the end of the first, second, third, fourth quarter. That's the only time that they're they're under the under that pressure of a clock. But now it's every thirty seconds you're, you're having that. And so, you know, one of the things that we struggle with early in the season is we'll penetrate three, two, one, and now pass to a kid that's in no position to do anything because you 
you held the ball too long and didn't make a play. And so getting kids understand, you know, at about six seconds, you, you got to do something. You, you got to start making something happen and not throw a pass out with half a second on the clock. Um, so I, I absolutely love a shot clock. I would, I would never want to do anything against it. I wish on the girl side, we don't have a 10 second backcourt with it. The boys okay. do, which I have no idea. Nobody can explain to me why. Um, but I, I would love to have a 10 second backcourt and the 30 second shot clock. Yeah, I think we're, we're definitely keeping the 10 second backcourt. Um, I had one of my players today tell me, says coach. Um, so we can't run out cause we will, I mean, we, we take a lot of quick shots and so forth, but we have a four corners offense that we just kind of separate from the other team. They can't get the ball from us. So he said, we can't run the clock out anymore. I says, well, we're going to have to make some adjustments. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's definitely different. We went out to Vegas a few years back and we jumped out on a really talented team late. We opened it up late and they came back and they were just sitting in a zone. So I pulled it out and my assistant was like, he'd never coached without a shot clock. And he was freaking out. (laughs) He's like, well, what are we doing? Are we, you know, I'm like, just chill. I've done this before. <laughs> so I'm on the right. fly trying to tell our kids what a four corners is and to, to hold it <laughs> and everything else. But you yeah. know, I, I, I hate that, but I'm also not so stubborn. I'm, I'm going to use the rules to my advantage. I mean, if I'm sure. up late and there's no shot clock, we're going to milk this sucker, you know, but um, I, I prefer the shot clock and, you know, we, we have to tell our kids at times, Hey, you have to, you have to finish this game. You got to play to win, you know, but, but also understanding clock management. You know, if you're if you're up six with two minutes to go, do you want a one pass three right now, or do you want to run your offense deeper and look for a shot in the last 15 seconds of the shot clock? Um, we we were up on a team several years, about six years ago, in the playoffs that ran a really, really aggressive half court trap, and we we're up 25 in the fourth, and they kept sitting in it. So I just told our girl, stay in the back court for 15 seconds. Well, there's no 10 second back court here. Oh, that so makes 15, sense. Sure, run 15 yeah. seconds, then looked up. You know, and, and again, they're like, well, well, my assistants are like, hey, you know, shouldn't we be attacking? I'm like, they're going to run out of possessions pretty soon. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll attack the last 15 seconds, but the first 15, you know, so, you know, understanding time and score, I think, I think is important for kids because a good shot in the first quarter might not be the same good shot in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And that's, that's a great point. I think a lot of people, coaches who don't have the great talent, they're going, oh, well, you know, we can't hold the ball. But let's be honest, if you don't have talented players, you're not going to hold the ball against a great team anyways. Um, but, you know, I understand the ball possession theorists out there. But uh, tell me about your philosophy on offense. Are you a dribble drive, pass cut? Give, just give me a quick sample of how you guys play. You know, we, we run a lot. We probably run too much stuff during the season. Um, you know, we, we, we really like to – We've run a lot of five out, or excuse me, a lot of dribble drive. Um, the state championship team in 2017, we ran a lot of five out because we had really high basketball IQ, high skilled players. Um, so they could run a little bit more true, true motion. Um, when that class graduated, um, we had my daughter and a couple other older kids and a, a lot of young kids. And our, our basketball IQ was just down and everybody was face guard Maddie. And running the true five out motion we just we weren't doing the our iq wasn't high enough so we kind of kind of made a hybrid of some dribble drive components with some five out principles um we we still run a lot of dribble handoffs we run on balls um if you're going to sag we're going to set a lot of flares and try to try to pin the help side um and we with our shooting we really try to spread you out because you got to extend 
we averaged, I mean, we were a, to, in my mind, we were a solid shooting team last year. You know, we, we were, we were good, but I wouldn't say it was one of our elite ones. And we averaged 11 threes a game last year. Um, so, you know, it, it, our three point shooting opens up the floor for a lot of, we haven't had a lot of true post players. Uh, right. I've got a stud eighth grader coming up. That's almost six, two already. It's going to give us a true low, low block presence. Um, so, you know, we'll do different things when we add her to the mix. Right now, my six-foot kids can all slash and shoot it a little bit. So we, we ran a lot of five out last year. Um, but but kind of kind of combinations, and, and we, we, we run some horns action. We have a lot of sets that we run um, and, and kind of build upon throughout the year. I mean, by the end of the year, we probably have about 25-man sets, about 25 inbounds plays. We don't run all of them every game. We save some for special situations or for playoffs. Um, but but it's, it's really – predicated on attacking kicking um spacing and and you know then you know if you're going to play very extended we're going to go back door if you're going to sag we're going to we're going to set a lot of flare screens um and, and just trying to play that that selfless basketball yeah absolutely on that and really coach doesn't the game come I mean, it's, it's really very simple <clears throat> you're trying to get into the paint it's driving kick pass and cut um catch and face right the game's really simple isn't it yeah i mean you know it, <laughs> it used it used to be you would get paint touches through your big to 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 collapse the defense to get a kick out now it's you know more get it off dribble penetration um you know and so you you have to get paint touches to be successful whether that's through penetration or through post-ups possibly back doors you got to do something to get the ball into the paint or it, it, it makes it difficult to score um, so if you can't get kids, if you don't have kids that can take it off the bounce, you, you better be running some action to free kids up to, to, you know, either whether it's taking advantage of mismatches or just to have so much movement and, and screening action to, to free shooters up. Um, but, but that's where, you know, like I, I've got all, all of our bigs right now. We haven't, we haven't done any post work in, in three weeks and we, and we may, might not all summer. I mean, our, we are trying to make our kids basketball players. So sure. my six, my six two eighth grade post is going through all our perimeter work. She's getting up three hundred plus threes every day with us, um, you know, and 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 she she's going to end up being a very versatile kid down the road. Yeah, I love the versatility on that. I mean, just being an all around player. Uh, I know within our program, we we're instituting. Um, <clears throat> what we call the Gonzaga, the Bulldog uh, ball screen offense. And we absolutely love it. I have never used the ball screen. I've been mostly dribble drive. And um, we're, we're, I mean, it, it's been, it's been great. We're setting, you know, good wing ball screens. Um, we're, and the reason why we're doing that is we need some help on our dribble penetration. Um, and it's allowing my bigs to get out and set good screens um, we're really liking it. Are you a ball screen fan or is that something that you guys don't do? We we've done it more and it kind of depends on, on your personnel. Um, when, when Maddie was our primary point guard and our leading scorer, I, we added a lot of ball screen stuff to free her up and to get isolations, um, and, and mismatches for her. Um, we will run more ball screen stuff. We've got a lot of point guards. Now we went from like no point guards to a lot of point guards. So we'll, we'll, we'll run more on ball stuff this year. Um, like you said, though, maybe your guard can't take her guard off the dribble, but if the team likes to switch and now you've got your big on, on sure. your big on your guard. Now, now you've got a penetration advantage and you got a post-up advantage because 
you got mm-hmm. your big on, on a little. And so um, we've incorporated more on ball stuff in the last, in the last few years. Um, even we, the last year and more so this year, we'll be running a lot of pistol action, dribble handoff with an on ball on the dribble handoff, sure. um, creates a lot of confusion. Um, and, and you know, you're, you're trying to exploit pretty much every high school team is going to have one to two bad defenders on the floor at a time. Um, c- can you get them involved in the action and decision-making and rotations, um, to, to where you break them down? Can you get those kids onto your best players? Um, and, and create advantage situations. So, you know, we, we try to – that's where we kind of look at our, at our strategies and game plans, and we'll add some new stuff for opponents to, to try to get some of that stuff if we don't already have it in. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, and everything you said is correct, you know, kind of looking at us and analyzing us a little bit too. Yeah, we, we play against the best – we try to design our offense against the champions that, that we think the best teams in our state. Um, and we feel like the ball screen is going to allow our good players. We don't have great quick players. We have good players, allow them a little more freedom to drive and create into the paint and or driving kick. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like the teams that will press the bad teams, but are, you're not going to press the top five teams. Well, why are you spending 20 games pressing bad teams if you're not going to ever do that against the top teams? Right. You know, so it, it's kind of like you're going to beat that team by 40 with a press or 35 by not pressing. So, you know, what are you doing to prepare for that, that other team? And that's, that's where it's funny that we get labeled a two, two, one team and, and a dribble drive team. When, I mean, if you came to our practice, that that's, that's about 15% of our practice. You know, we're, we're working on stuff all the time to be, hopefully be prepared for whatever somebody might throw at us. Um, I remember a couple games over the years where, we've gone against teams that literally changed defenses about five times. And each time we, we seamlessly went into a new offense and kept <laughs> an attack going. And it just, it was one sure. of those very validating games where it's like, you know, guys, great job. I mean, they, they, they threw five different things at you and you went right into the next thing and just shredded it. And so, you know, you, you just, you just try to. Hello, this is Craig Reed, owner and CEO of Corny Board Aids. We specialize in providing coaching aids and equipment for the basketball coach. We are also home of the Corny Board, the original sideline coaching board. I want to recommend Championship Vision Podcast. It is a great way to get insights into what other great coaches and leaders do in their programs. Kevin Furtado brings a great tool to coaches with this podcast. Thanks, Coach Furtado. To be one step ahead and have a have extra quivers and extra arrows in your quiver for whatever they might throw at you. Yeah, I love that. And and that also goes back to your all-around players that you have. So it doesn't matter what they throw at you. And it sounds like you're also teaching your players how to be smart, too, and recognize. Talk about defensive philosophy. We're a 2-2-1 team. We, we press on makes and misses, Coach, all over the court um, at our level. And we find it very effective. What do you guys do? That's what we would, that's what we typically do and would like to do. Um, we will adjust based on who, who we're playing, what they're doing. Um, like the, the one thing you're going to give up in a 2 2 1 is, is some weak side corner threes. And if a team's got a shooter in each one of them, there's, there's things where we'll adjust or pull off the press and man them because sure. their strength is our weakness of the press. Um, we try to morph our press a lot. We don't run just a 2 2 1. Um, there's times where we will morph it into an actual true run and jump. 
there's times that we'll deny your inbounder. If, you, if your press break is to reverse and swing, we'll deny it and try to make, we're going to try to make you run a second press break. If you have one, right. We're going to try to take away what, what you want to do. Um, there's times that we'll force weak hand the entire game. So every closeout, every trap is forced into their weak hand, um, trying to make them dribble and pass. People forget, not only are you making them, say a team has no left-handed player, not only are you making them dribble that the whole game, but they're having to throw across their body on, on the fly if they're trying to throw a cross-court pass with their weak hand, um, which leads, you know, lamer passes, not as much zip, things we can deflect and hopefully intercept. Um, and so, so we'll sometimes we'll condense the court a bit. Like there might be a jitterbug little guard that goes through our press. So we'll go three-quarter, quarter, even half court. And now that kid that wants to go through, there's not as much space, and now they got to pass. And maybe they're not a great passing team, but they're really fast. Or vice versa, maybe it's a really good passing team or really long and slow team. We'll extend and get really up in them and make them dribble. Um, so we try to work on that stuff you know, and build throughout the season to where we can tweak and morph our press and, and try to take away the strength of the other team. So – we would love to press and double the, the entire game. Plus, we're we're usually pretty deep this year. We're going to be really, really deep. Um, a lot of lot of athletes, a lot of depth, and would love to just grind teams down. Um, but you know, th- th- this year our press wasn't as strong and consistent as we'd like it to be. It worked well in some games, but we became a really good half court man defense team at the end of the year. Um, it had some situational stuff where we would trap and do some different things, but. We spent a lot of time doing that every day from day one of not just being a, a pressure team. And we'd like to play that way. Um, it goes well with our offensive attack. But, you know, some, sometimes you, you, you need to, to just th- – their strength might, you know, be, be better to, to pull it back and, and go to something else versus the press. Yeah, absolutely. G- give me something, Coach, that you guys are working on, well, now – to improve your defense? Give me a drill or something technique that you guys are trying to improve on. You know, a drill we, we started last year that really, um, be, because we press so much, it's not, and trap so much, it's not just, you can't have a my man mentality because you're, you're not going to be just guarding your man. You're not just going to be boxing out your man. Um, and so we call it four and four scramble. And what it is, it's your typical four on four shell that everybody teaches. Um, but what we do with it is after somewhere between three to six passes, a coach will yell go. And so if, if I'm closing out right now and they yell go to the girl I'm going to cover, I've got to go touch the three-point line behind her heels. Mm-hmm. And so she's attacking. So, so briefly, it's a four-on-three attack for the offense, and it's live. And so the defense, while that girl's touching the three-point line behind her heels and coming back behind the ball, the defense has to communicate and rotate properly. Someone obviously first and foremost has to stop ball because the, the, the ball defenders out of the play for a second. And then the backside has to rotate and cover correctly. And so we, we, we give each team four, uh, six possessions uh, of playing defense and having to rotate that way, keeping score on twos and threes, and then they run and then we'll mix it up and, and run it back. But it really, really helped our communication and our rotations because the kids, ha- if you don't talk, you're going to get killed in this drill. Um, if you hug one man and don't rotate, you're going to get killed in this drill. So we'll go, you know, they'll pass, they'll pass, they'll pass, they'll rotate, skip the ball to four spots. Then I'll yell go when the ball's in the air. That offensive player is ripping and attacking. The girl that's running the closeout will run, touch the three-point line behind her heels, and run back into the play. But the, 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 they're in a constant scramble mode of, of getting back to a man and playing 
And, you know, if you don't attack well, they, they could set their defense back up. And now it's harder because it's, it's back to a true four and four. But it, it, we go live scenarios that way, and um, that really helps. We do a lot of rotational box-out drills where they're um, three-on-two box-out where we pass to one of the three shooters, whichever one we don't pass to, the other two crash. So, again, they're not focusing on boxing out their man. Um, right. we'll, we'll do a four-and-four four circle box-out where four kids are on the perimeter. The four defenders are jogging in a circle. And we'll pass to any one of them and shot. And they've got to they've got to come out of that circle they're jogging in and, and pick up a man and not their man. But it's really teaching that communication piece that we need for our defense to be successful because you're you're not just guarding one person the whole time. Yeah, I love what you're doing. You're doing disadvantage drills and just it force you're right. It just force it's more game like, right? So do you feel like are you a technique guy on defense or is it more on, man, you just got to get to your spot by putting them in situations in practice? I, I think it's both. Um, we, we do a lot of, I mean, you, you got to play hard. I mean, you just, that's just a non-negotiable. You, you got to have a great attitude. You got to play hard. Um, and then, you know, teaching them how to play smart. I mean, I've had some kids that were phenomenal at stealing the ball that were not very fast, right. but they have, very high basketball IQ. They might have great length. Um, they understand angles. And so, um, you know, it, we used to put our faster kids in our second row, but sometimes the fast, the faster kid, maybe they couldn't anticipate anything. They, they just sit there and stare at the ball and then can, you know, they can run it down, but they can't anticipate and steal it. And so sometimes we've had slower kids in the second row that um, just have great instincts and read the play like a free safety would. Um, you know, and, and so moving kids around on the press is to, you know, wh- wh- what, and then sometimes we like when, when my daughter played, we couldn't have her in the front row and she, she's not an elite foot speed kid. She's a very high basketball IQ kid and very skilled scorer, but I couldn't have her in the front row of the press exhausting herself when she had to be our primary ball handler, or primary scorer. So right. putting her at a spot on the press where she can save a little bit of energy um, you know, the front row of our press, they, they've got to be dogs. They just got to grind, grind, grind. And so we mm-hmm. rotate a lot of different bodies through there because you, you just got to be an absolute pest. And if you're not bringing that level, you, you got to come out. You can't be out there. Yeah, that front part of the press is key. We're actually working on that today. Of course, now we cannot scrimmage. So in Georgia, we can't scrimmage. So that's hard for me to do. But we can yeah. do shell. We can do shell drill. Um, and man, that's a key, we call it chasers up top because literally you're up there chasing the ball, influencing the ball. You better have the right two kids up top. Don't you coach? Oh, absolutely. We, we, we call, you know, we, we use Vance's terminology on that with the controller and gaffer and, and your job is to control the ball handler. They, you're not, I don't want you playing shadow defense, meaning you're, you're just, you're just holding hands and staying with them. I want you to dictate to her where she's going. And so, you know, being able to control that front person is really important. Um, you know, and, and I think on the press, one thing that we focus a lot on is, you know, some people say I'm okay giving up layups to establish tempo. I, I'm not. I'm not one of those guys. Um, I, every, every bucket we give up, my, my blood pressure boils. So, you know, we really work on how do we save ourselves in situations where we are at a disadvantage. So like a press drill that we do that really helps with that is, most people do their press drills where they start, you know, with the inbounding the ball. So your defense is already set. So the ball's in front of you, you know, all five of you, the, the ball's in front of you. We actually do a drill where we start the off. We put four offense at the far end under their basket. They can be wherever they want. 
and we put three defenders back there defending that basket. We take the offensive ball handler and put her at the far free throw line. So she's, what, 70 feet from her hoop or so. And then we put the front two of our press behind her on the blocks. Okay. So on the whistle, on the whistle, they're chasing the ball handler from behind. So it's simulating your trap being split. Um, and so you're already at a disadvantage. And so the offense should score, but the defense's job is to control them, hound them, get a deflection, do enough to allow those other two girls to sprint back and communicate and rotate back into the play and get to a spot on the press. Um, and so it's a great drill in getting kids to have to play through mistakes, talk and figure um, even though we have infinite rules in our press and what we do, sometimes you just got to go make a play. And so it's, it's a great drill to, to work on that aspect. And then we do a press scoring system um, where if you score on your press break, in any of our press stuff, if you score on your press break, you get no points. So anytime you score off of offense, um, you, you don't get anything. You get to play defense. It's trying to shift that mentality of defense isn't a punishment. Defense is, is a reward. You want to play defense. But then if you get a deflect, any deflection is one point. Um, any steal in the backcourt is two. A steal in the front court is worth one. And if you score off of a steal, those points count. So if we steal the inbounds as two points, dump it to a girl for a layup, that's a four-point possession. And we play those games to 12, and it's really – but then the flip side is a foul in the backcourt is minus two, a foul in the front court is minus one, and a foul in the dead ball trap is minus three. Trying to get kids to understand pressing without fouling and how that just that fouling contradicts everything we're trying to do from tempo to wearing them out to free points to letting them reset. Um, so we, we have a whole press scoring system that we do every day um, to shift the weight to where we want the kids to have their focus and energy contributed to. Yeah, and if you could, I would love to get those drills from you, Coach. I can't write that fast, but I'm trying to visualize yeah, no, absolutely. what you're doing. I love that because you, you are you're emphasizing things which, and you're emphasizing game-like activities. It's not just a drill. It's not a drill. It's an emphasis. I love that. Yeah, we asked our kids today, what, what's the one question everybody asks you right after a game? How many points did you score? They never ask you how many charges did you take? How many assists <laughs> did you get? Right. How many times did you dive for a loose ball? They, they never ask those things. And so that's what we fight in society as coaches. And so we have to sh really shift the kids' thinking. So any bucket with an assist in practice, we give an extra point to. So if you hit a three off of an assist, it's for four points. Um, any drill we do, you take a charge, it's plus two. Um, every offensive rebound, because we, we tend to not be very big, and we tend to get lazy and stink at rebounding. Um, and I also, the, the value of the offensive rebound, we typically start the year with it's plus one on any offensive board. And then at some point, I get so frustrated with our rebound, I've raised it up to plus three. Um, and all of our games are to about 10 points. So you give up three offensive rebounds in a, in a possession, that's nine of the 10 points they need. They put one of them in, that's game. And so the, the other thing that helps with that is your second team and most teams is not as talented as your first team offensively. But you, when, you, when you offer rewards to them off of grit, off of charges and rebounds and stuff, that team can outwill that team and can outwork them. And then it sends a real strong message. It levels the playing field for them in practice, but it sends a real strong message to your first team of it's not about talent because you just got your butt kicked 10 to zero and, and it was all effort. It had nothing to do with talent. And so, um, you know, I, I think that makes your practices more competitive as well. I love that. And I, I, I spoke to another coach uh, 
a few podcasts back. He does the same thing. It, it makes your second team confident, right? And then it makes your first team compete harder. It does. It does. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we, we will do things. We'll, we'll balance teams some. We, we play first versus second team some. Um, I like to see which of my which of my horses in my first team. I like to see who can carry the second team too, because right. you'll put some you'll put some kids on there and they instantly cave in. They don't give the same effort. They feel defeated. They feel and you see others that man they just elevate the level of their kids play. I, I remember my daughter senior year. I got so mad at her one day for she 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 did something I wasn't thrilled about. And so the game was like seven to two her team was winning and I stopped the drill and put her on the other team. And she, she led that team on a, on an eight Oh run to win the game. And it was just, but it was that, and it wasn't her just making the play. She, the other kids, because of who she was, the other kids picked their effort up on her team. Um, she was organizing and communicating and demanding. And she, she could have gone onto that team and pouted and, and they were already down there. Probably, you know, they make one three, the game's over. Right. But, you know, you like to see the kids that are going to going to do that. I had two kids on our state championship team today and Sarah that when I put they were like best friends. But when I put them on opposite teams, man, they were going to kill each other. And, and you, you love kids that just they're, they're that alpha that they just it doesn't matter. Coach, give me the worst four in the gym. We're going to win. And, you know, that, that that's what that's the mentality you got to have, because there's going to be challenges in the game where it's tough and it's not going well. And, you know, are you going to sit there and wait for somebody else to do it? Or are you going to go make a play? Yeah, is that the well, – well, actually, you should have another podcast on really how to coach your daughter. It's not like you did – I know that's not easy, and I know a lot of coaches have to do that. Man, I mean, just really quickly, uh, did you guys have a strategy for that, or is this something that she just kind of knew, all right, she knew she knew her dad and what to expect? You know, I've, I've seen over my years, I've seen coaches go both ways. Some have catered <laughs> to their kids where they could do no wrong. And some have been really hard. And I went the really hard. Um, it was 90% the, the greatest time of my life. And 10% was challenging. Um, there's days I was too hard on her because I didn't want anybody to be able to say she got what she got because dad's a coach. And so um, I had a quicker hook with her her first year and a half. Um, second half of her sophomore year into her junior year, I said, hey, training wheels are off. We got to go. Um, she knew that she wanted to be great and she knew that I could help her get there. Um, so she was, she was, what I love about her is you can coach her tough and she rises up. She doesn't fold. And so, right. you know, probably because of that, because I knew she was so tough, there's probably times I was even harder than I needed to be. Um, but she always would, would, would pick it up to that, to that level. And so, um, you know, one, one thing about coaching her hard is she, she always wanted to work that hard. She was one of the rare kids that love practice. And so if a coach's kid doesn't really love it, you can't make them love it. You, no matter how much you do or how much you want it for them, something has to come from them or it's, or it's going to, it's going to be a clashing of the heads. Um, as demanding as I am, it worked because, you know, she wanted to be great and, and understood and, and she never, for the most part, she never took a personal, you know, she, but you know, I, I would push her and push her and push her and push her. Um, but, but we, we, we understood it for the most part. There's definitely times I was, I was too hard on her, but I, I didn't want anybody. She was always going to hear it anyway, because dad's the coach. Um, <laughs> but, but she, she earned absolutely everything she got. Yeah. And I think we forget sometimes that that's a lot of pressure on the player because 
you know, she's talking to the kids on the team. And that's, that, I mean, that's not that easy being a player of your dad as a coach. Well, yeah. And I mean, you know, if you, if you just ripped the team and ran them and the whole team's mad at coach, that's yeah. your dad. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, to, to her credit, she never, you know, she never ratted out teammates. She did what if, if there was an issue that needed to be dealt with, even as a sophomore, she would address it and talk to the team um, and, and help navigate through that. So she was she 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 handled things on her end extremely well. She if there was things that were going to be really negative or bad for the team, then she, if she had to let me know, she would let me know. But she never ratted on a teammate. She always, you know, had their backs. And, um, you know, she she was a tremendous leader. She was a kid with very high expectations and standards and held kids accountable, but was extremely compassionate and took kids under her wing and, and, and was one of those kids to be like, Hey, come on, come on with me. I'll get us there. Yeah. sounds like a terrific kid. And she's now at USC. Is that correct? Doing pretty well, yeah. right? Yeah. She, um, she herniated a disc class. She played her senior season with two bulging discs and in preseason last year, she collided with one of their big posts and, Basically, the girl landed on top of her, and um, it, just, it herniated her disc, and so she had surgery um, and is already at level four out of four on a return to play protocol. So she's about eight weeks ahead on her rehab. Great. Um, has has four years still. Um, looks great. She's hungry. She's never missed time before, and so she's dying to get out there and contribute. Yeah, absolutely. Coach, I know your time's really valuable. Um, my last question is this about, about recruiting. I have a player who just signed with University of Tennessee Chattanooga and a kid that I've been with since she was in the eighth grade. She's always wanted to play unbelievable work ethic. And I got some more kids coming up that that want to play at the next level. Give me some advice and coaches out there, because you've had a bunch of kids go to the next level. Give me some advice to help them reach their dreams. You know, I, I think one huge part that a lot of people miss out on is, is you've got to establish some relationships. Um, we, we get about 20 colleges a year come through our practices. And it, it's me reaching out to them, inviting them, telling them who our, our top prospects are, um, being honest with them. You, you don't sell a kid as D1 that's barely D3 because then you lose credibility for your next kid. Right. Um, and so, you know, when, when I call a coach and say, hey, I need, you should need to take a look at this kid, they know it's a kid that could potentially be at their level. Now, what they do with that and what their need are is up to them. But because I've been honest with them, all, I, I get a lot of calls about kids in our area that are not our players because they use me as a reference point because they, they trust that relationship over the years. Um, you know, marking our kids, um, th this whole COVID thing, I've got seven 2021s on our team and all of them can play at the college level. And you know, there's been tremendous anxiety and concern with these guys because th this is the summer you play for as a kid. Right. You know, their senior summer. And, mm. you know, we've really been proactive trying to align kids up with, with schools that are of their level, of their niche, of their character, of their style of play. Um, three of our kids have already committed. Um, two of them have offers. The two others are getting interest and in talking to schools. And so, you know, it, it, it's not just the club coach's job. You have to be proactive in a, in a perfect situation. you got a good high school and a good club program, um, you know, and, and we're fortunate that our kids do. But as the high school coach, you, you've got to be proactive and market your kids. You've got to invite coaches to practice um, and, and ask, talk to people because, you know, it's taken me some time to realize that, 
you know, when that kid gets that invite to elite camp and a thousand other kids got it, you know, it's it, it the recruiting process can be very disingenuous and very misleading. And, you know, sometimes the high school coach needs to call the head coach and say, Hey, are you serious about my kid? Cause if you are, I'll get her there. But if you're not, if she's just a number, Oh, well, you know, they don't, they stumble. They don't know who the kid is. Well, don't waste 500 bucks on that camp when they don't even know who your player is. Right. For sure. And so, you know, we have to be an advocate for our kids. We have to be willing to ask the hard questions. Um, you know, I'll tell kids, Hey, I'm going to call them. Just, just understand. I'm going to ask them, be ready for the hard answer if they're not interested, but you'd rather know than sit there and chase that school for three years and, and there's nothing there for you. So, um, you know, bu- building the relationships, marking your kids and being an advocate for your kids. Um, you, you've got to get, there's so many good players in this country and, you know, what are you doing to separate your kids and to, to get them in, in, in front of the coaches aside from, you know, the other 150 kids that are competing with them at that spot. Yeah. You have to do it these days. And really there's no excuses, right? Coach, because, you know, we got the huddle video. We got the thing. We 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 can really sell it, but you got to go out of your way to be an. I love that word. You are an advocate for your players. I mean, it takes extra work, man. But you owe it to those kids, right? Well, you do. I mean, why, why else are you doing it? You know, I mean, th- th- these kids. It is so rewarding to see a kid get an opportunity to get some education paid for, or fully paid for, to play at the next level. Um, you know, it, it, it's just, it's just so, so awesome. And we've been fortunate with so many talented kids in the last decade. Um, but you know, some of those opportunities have come because of the program success and the relationships and, you know, that they ultimately seal the deal for themselves, but, um, you know, get, getting, getting colleges to come into your gym, building that relationship, your kid gets to perform with 20 other kids in front of them versus 144 courts and 800 teams. And you hope a coach might see you make that three and catch your eye. You know, I mean, th- those are those are tough things that's, that a lot of these kids are trying to perform under. And so the more you can do to put help put your kids in front of coaches, playing in showcases during the year, um, hosting a tournament and get some colleges and, and good players to come. So so schools come and watch. I mean, so, some of our kids have been seen just because of the competition we play. Um, they came to watch another kid and, and one of our kids perform. So, you know, those are all things that I, I don't know why else you do it if, if you're not doing that for your kids. Yeah, it's so true. Coach, man, I really enjoyed your knowledge, your wisdom. I can see why Clovis West is one of the top programs in the country. I really appreciate you stepping up and sharing with us. So I just want to thank you for it. No, I thank you. Those, those are very humbling words. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've learned a lot from people over the years and always happy to share if you're interested or if anybody listens to this interested in some of our drills. I have some of our shooting stuff recorded as well. Um, ha- happy to share and pass that info along and help grow the game. Absolutely. And I'm going to definitely, uh, I love to get some of your shooting videos if you have it. And those drills that you mentioned, particularly the pressing drills. Um, I would love to get that and also share to other coaches. Um, how, what's the best way to contact you? Um, either by email, um, Craig Campbell, it's all one word at CUSD.com. Um, you can also reach me on Twitter. Um, at coach CCW, um, or you can, I mean, you can reach out to me, text, email, a- a- anyways, fine. I'm very accessible. Coach, thank you again. I really appreciate it. And he had to, coach does have a great Twitter account and so forth. So I, I've been looking at you. He's updating it all the time with some great stuff. Coach, thank you again for sharing the game with us. You bet. Thank you for having me. It's very, definitely a pleasure. All right. Thanks, Greg. Thank you, bud. All right. Bye now.
Hey coaches, this is Brad Hillegas, content producer at Huddle for the NBA, NCAA Division I, and high school basketball. I'm a big fan of Coach Furtado's podcast, Championship Vision, because it connects coaches around the country that want to continue learning and growing our beloved game. The X's and O's, coaching philosophy, teaching principles, they're all here. And that's a mission that we're working on at Huddle as well. More than 160,000 teams, including the best in the world, use Huddle to elevate their performance with video. But our collection of online tools is much more than that. Mobile desktop apps, smart cameras, video editing, data analytics software, the list goes on. But our goal is to help coaches like you teach the game in a modern way, whether that's connecting with your athletes, communicating your game plan, or looking to gain a competitive edge. And if you want to see how Huddle can help your program, visit Huddle.com. That's H-U-D-L.com to learn more. And of course, keep listening to the Championship Vision podcast to never stop learning. Huddle is the preferred video and analytics platform for over 6 million users and 150,000 teams worldwide. Huddle offers a complete performance platform, including the most powerful and flexible tools for video analysis with online tools, mobile and desktop apps, smart cameras, analysts, and more. For more information on Huddle, check out hudl.com or at Huddle on Twitter and Instagram.